Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. St. Paul declares in our epistle reading, it is now time for you to wake from sleep. The Lutheran question is, what does this mean? That is, who is sleeping and what does it mean to sleep? It's easy to say that the sleepers are those unbelievers, the heathen, who are out there, not in our presence, and to pick on them. After all, we love to use the law of God in ways that do not apply to our own selves. That way we can smugly, we can smugly accuse those who are guilty and make ourselves look ever so good. It's why we like to it's why we like to talk about people behind their backs and not actually face them to try to be reconciled with them or to help them. It's why we want preachers who will preach it, who will condemn those bad people out there, but won't ever consider hinting at the things that we might be guilty of committing. It is true though, that unbelievers need to wake up, that they need to arise from their slumber, that they need to put on Christ and receive his righteousness and be forgiven by him. Non-Christians need to care about these matters pertaining to God and to salvation, needing Jesus, his forgiveness. For without Christ and the forgiveness he offers, there is no salvation. But if you think about it, who is Paul writing to when he writes to the Romans? Was it the unbelieving Greco-Roman world, some general epistle to which he writes? He tells us at the beginning of his epistle that he is writing to the saints in Rome, the holy ones, the ones redeemed by Christ, who have put on Christ, He's writing to the Christians, both Jew and Gentile, in Rome. So what Paul is doing is he's writing to Christians, saying that Christians, it's time for them to wake up. You see, many Christians slumber. They may claim to hold faith in Jesus, but you won't see it in how they live their lives. Nor do they really trust in our Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And so St. Paul declares that the hour has come for us to wake up. The bridegroom is coming, as we heard in our readings from last week, as we'll hear next week as well, that Jesus will return. He wants us to be prepared for his coming. Let's not be like those five foolish virgins in last week's gospel who were asleep and had no oil for their lamps, no faith when the bridegroom came. This epistle lesson certainly is a fitting theme as we enter into a new church year. Just as Jesus enters Jerusalem as our king and makes his entrance among us, even now through word and sacrament, as we enter this new year, so also we begin this new year waking up and following our Savior Jesus. A new year means a new start. A fresh beginning, 
Through repentance, we put away this past year's load of sin and guilt, transgression and iniquity. And we begin this new year forgiven in Christ. We begin this new year, as Paul says in our epistle, casting off the works of darkness. Or as he says in our epistle, awaking from sleep. Now when this lesson, this epistle lesson, instructs us to wake from sleep, we aren't just told to wake from some sort of light slumber, but instead from a deep, a hypnotic sleep, in fact. For the Greek word for sleep here, sleep is found, there's a whole theology of sleep in the scriptures. We can hear about sleep for those who are just simply sleeping. We can hear about sleep for those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that is, they have breathed their last, they are with the Lord. So the word for sleep is varied, but the word that Paul uses here for sleep is a rare one in the New Testament. It's the only time he uses it in the entire New Testament. And the other, got, the other writers in the New Testament, it occurs just five times among the, or among or four other times, I should say, among the other evangelists. So a total of five times this Greek word for sleep shows up. Normally I don't give you Greek in the sermon, but this one might make a little more sense to you. That word is hypnos. That's where we get the English word to hypnotize. And in modern usage, hypnosis is when a person may appear to be asleep but is awake and has no ability to control his actions. And I think it's also interesting to look at those four other times in which this Greek word hypnos occurs in the New Testament. The first one is in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 1. There Joseph finds out that his betrothed, Mary, is pregnant and he wants to get out of this relationship. He wants to be known as an honest man. And so that's what he's seeking to do. But then he has a dream in which an angel of the Lord tells Joseph to keep Mary as his wife because her son is the promised Messiah. He is to name her son Jesus for he will save his people from their sins and this Messiah is to be born of a virgin. And so when Joseph awoke from sleep, that is hypnos, he then resolved to keep Mary. About 30 years or so later, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And Luke reports there that they fell heavy with sleep, that is hypnos, and when they became fully awake, they saw Jesus in his glory, and they also saw two men with, with Jesus, that is Moses and Elijah. And not long after this, Jesus told his disciples that they must go to Bethany because their friend Lazarus was asleep, and that word asleep was the normal word for sleep. Uh, but what Jesus meant there is that Lazarus had died, and the disciples who heard Jesus thought that Jesus meant that Lazarus was just sleeping. And when John reports that, he uses the word hypnos. And now we fast forward about 25 years, and St. Paul is preaching in Troas, intending to leave the next day as he was engaging in his second missionary journey. 
Because he's going to leave, he wanted to preach a while, and he preached until after midnight. A young man named Eutychus was listening to him from a third-story window, and Luke reports that he sank into a deep sleep, Hypnos, as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, Hypnos, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. I sure hope that doesn't happen to you as I preach far shorter and less than uh, till midnight. Paul, though, raises him from the dead. That's, of course, God at work. So in all of these accounts, when this word appears, it is the amazing works of God are taking place. Jesus is conceived. Jesus is transfigured. Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and God raises this young man from the dead through Paul. And now, Paul is suggesting in our epistle that it is time for us to wake from sleep. Perhaps Paul is declaring yet another miracle is now happening. A miracle that involves you that it is time to wake up for salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. You see, it is rather easy to let our faith lapse and for us to fall asleep. Those who are asleep engage in the works of darkness without any thought of it, without any remorse, without any sorrow for their sin, that's contrition, without any desire for repentance. St. Paul gives some examples of those who are walking in darkness, who are asleep. And these, those examples include orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. The temptations of the flesh are strong. It is nothing short of a miracle of God when his people cast off these works of darkness. Many who consider themselves Christian and maybe even are quite knowledgeable concerning the things of God produce little or no fruit. They don't take time each day in the word of God and prayer. They may fail to instill good habits in their children by training them in the Christian faith. They may fail to give generously and cheerfully of their time, talents, and treasures back to the Lord. Or they may not serve their neighbor very joyfully through their various vocations. Sadly, many who consider themselves members of the Christian faith fall under this category, having been lulled to sleep or having ignored this word of God, this life-saving gospel, so that they are now asleep. They suppose, though, that they are still Christian because they make the claim they believe in Jesus they, go through the, they had gone through those rote motions, or at least it was wrote to them, of baptism and being confirmed. And so in the end, they don't actually trust in Jesus for their salvation, nor do their lives suggest faith in Christ. Speaking to the 70 that Jesus had sent out to proclaim the gospel, Jesus said, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who, hears you, the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, if many won't listen to the pastors that 
Jesus sends, how can they really be hearing? How can they really be receiving Jesus himself? For Jesus sends pastors to counsel and to comfort and to even admonish. On Monday Thursday, our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he would be crucified the next day, instituted his last will and, and, and testament. He took bread. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples and said, this is my body. He took wine. He blessed it, saying, this is my blood. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And yet, what do many do? Many go months, some even years, without receiving the sacrament. Luther had warned that if a person does not receive the sacrament at least four times a year, it's to be feared that this person despises the sacrament and isn't a Christian. Jesus repeats the various commandments in his preaching, and yet many dishonor their parents and others in authority. Or they hurt people by their words or deeds. They, they, they fornicate or they cheat others of their property. They gossip or covet. And yet they have no remorse, no intention of amending their wicked ways. Within our own congregation, we have many who appear to be sleeping. Of the 214 baptized souls that we have on our membership roster, 102, according to our records, have not been in this church in the last 12 months. A few months ago, we mailed 28 letters to families who don't live nearby to see if they've joined a local congregation or to find out if at the very least they're attending a local congregation and if not, would they like help to find a local church for them to attend? We got three responses. Even though we included a stamped envelope and an easy form to fill out. Repent. Cast off the works of darkness. Your identity is not with the devil or the world. But put on Christ, for your identity is found in him. Your identity is in Christ because you are a baptized child of God. The name of the triune God is placed upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Lord Jesus Christ loves you and laid down his life for you. He redeemed you who were once a lost and condemned person. He has purchased and won you by his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. The death of Jesus brings life to you. The resurrection of Jesus secures your everlasting life and salvation, your own resurrection. This means that Jesus has already, at the cross, paid for the works of darkness by which you may have committed or may have walked. He has paid for your sin if you have slept through the gospel. In the last verse of our epistle, Paul says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. To put on Christ is to be clothed in the very righteousness of Christ, to wear these garments of salvation. And when we are clothed on Christ, we bear his very righteousness. We appear before our Father as being perfect. For God the Father, through Christ, has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. We are declared justified, that is, forgiven. Our sins are canceled out. God sees us as saints. And the Father no longer counts our sins against us. 
nor does he even see them. What blessings we have in Christ, what reasons to put on Christ and to awake from our slumber. Since the new church year is beginning today, now is the time to recommit ourselves to our Lord. Now is the time for us to say each day, yes, I am a child of God. Yes, I will in sincere repentance cast off the works of darkness. I will walk as a child of light. I will gladly hear his word and keep it. I will make faithful and frequent use of the word and sacraments. For through these means, I know that God the Holy Spirit is working faith in me and Jesus is forgiving me. I can see how generous he has been toward me spiritually and temporally and therefore I will be generous back to him. I will faithfully serve my Lord and I will also <clears throat> in love serve my neighbor. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you I want to see you with me in heaven. I want you to receive the blessings of Christ this day and every day. I want you to be rejoicing in the Lord and in the word of Christ. I want you to be boldly singing his praises. I want you to be seen as little Christ to your neighbor, doing good works to those whom Christ has placed in your lives. These things only happen, though, as you walk in Christ, abiding in the word of Christ. Therefore, this Advent season, I encourage you to read the Gospel of Matthew. If you start today reading a chapter a day, I encourage you to read it aloud with your families. Some of the chapters are on the longish side. They might take almost 10 minutes to read if you read it out loud. But you can do it. You can break it up in parts. You can read half of it before a meal and half of it after. In today's reading, which includes a long genealogy, you can skim it or summarize it or look for the names that are familiar. But I encourage you to read Matthew, to be in the gospel. If you haven't opened up your Bible in a while, to do so. If you don't have one, to take one that's under the, the table where the, the newsletters are. They're free for you to, to enjoy and to read. And then also I encourage you to learn a Bible verse each week. Today's Bible verse is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This verse is being posted on our Facebook page. It's in your bulletin on the inside cover under the order for daily prayer for the Bible verse. It's in your newsletters. So I encourage you to at least read it daily. And then also there's the Advent devotions at the family table. And you can read the Bible verses. You can sing our hymn that we're focusing on during Advent with your family. And these are all ways. They're simple. They're accessible to be in the word of God. You only receive blessing by being in this word. Yes, there can be challenges. Yes, it can be hard to read certain things. Yes, children might not always be the best behaved as this time is being spent but it is still time well spent, and it is a time in the word, focusing on our Lord Jesus Christ. Eventually, as we read the Gospel of Matthew in three weeks, we'll hear the Gospel reading that we just read this morning. Our Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem. He rode in there to die. He may have appeared lowly as he sat on that donkey, but Jesus rode into Jerusalem to be crowned as our king, 
to serve as our kinsman redeemer. He rode into Jerusalem to take our sins away, and he did just that. He fully atoned for all that you have done amiss, because Jesus, your Lord and Savior, died for you in your place, and he rose from the dead to secure your own resurrection on the last day. These are truly joyous blessings and serious things which bring about glad tidings of great joy. Behold your king. We have good reason to awake out of our slumber and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.